Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of education research in the classroom. Each episode features a conversation with a different guest, teachers, authors and others interested in education, talking about what the phrase from page to practice means to them and the importance of applying evidence to classroom practice. Hi, and welcome to the first episode of the new format of From Page to Practice. I guess we call this Series 5, Episode 1. In this episode, I'm bringing you two conversations. The first is with Stephen Cox, and we spoke about Stephen's favourite edgy book, Teach Like a Champion. So here's our conversation. So good morning, Stephen. Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, good morning. So um, I'm Steve Cox. Um, I currently live and work in Qatar, uh, work for Newton Schools Group. Before that, I was working at Q3 Langwe, which is Birmingham, uh, prior to that working at an art school as well. Uh, And my particular interest is in teaching and learning. Lovely, great. So just one standard question I'm going to ask everybody, which is the phrase from page to practice. What does that mean to you? Um, I think for me it's really important and something that I hold quite dearly. Um, I got into sort of reading research, evidence-based stuff, uh, lots of books on education. Um, But the thing that I found really important was how could I then apply that what I'd learnt. So probably the last 10 years, I think, that I've really got into that. Um, And as I say, anything like if I do any CPD or anything like that, very much my thing is if this hasn't changed what goes on in the classroom, then maybe I haven't been quite so successful for it. So page practice, uh, something very dear to my heart, as it were, and something that I have been trying to do for some time, really. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. So what is it you've come here to talk to us about today? What's your main interest that we want to chat about? Um, I think for me was specifically one book, uh, that is Teach Like a Champion by Doug Lamov. Um, I came across this when I first started working at an art school. Uh, They very much sort of took many of the practices from the book and then implemented them as part of the school. So my first exposure to it, Um, I've also, when I worked at Q3 Langley, that's Peter Lee there, um, he gave us all all staff a copy of the 3.0 book as well. And with them at Q3 Langley, it's more embedded into the delivery of lessons, whereas what I found at ARC, it was was very much sort of taking out a technique. uh, And now we're all going to do this technique, really. So, yeah, that's really got my interest in the book. I came across it. I'd sort of come across other sort of teaching methods and ideas that I'd tried out and not necessarily found successful. Um, But I liked very much the way in which the techniques were not strategies in the sense you had to try and work out how you're going to do them and they were a little bit sort of fuzzy. But the idea that they were particular things that you could try out straight away and were very effective as well. 
So there's some teachers who don't like, I guess, the format of, of Teach Like a Champion for maybe some of the reasons that you do. Could If you had to convince someone who says, no, I don't fancy even picking that book up, what would you say? Um, it's very interesting, and I've recently been involved on some online discussions, really, um, around this. Um, it seems to have focused specifically on the technique known as slant, which is uh, a technique just for helping students um, be fully ready to receive whatever instruction is about to happen. Uh, it's an acronym for, for a number of different um, sort of learning behaviours, as it were. Um, and some of the sort of arguments I've, that I've come across, one is that it's just outward compliance. Um, and I would say that, you know, in schools, we, we're doing our best bet with what we have available. And we're all going to have students that are going to comply in school, but not, not necessarily embed that behaviour at home. I think the other sort of argument that I've come across is the sort of what about neurodiverse students? Um, from my own experience, um, very much the routines that often these schools have, because it's it's often bigger than just the techniques, they are particular types of schools. The routines is very helpful for someone who is neurodiverse, the consistency and the repetitiveness that these these techniques sort of bring, and also the way in which it, you know it, it's aimed at um, having full attention, which in one sense would include silence as well. So my argument to someone who isn't necessarily um, keen on some of these sort of principles, um, I would just say, you know, the, these are things that you can take out. There are 63 of them altogether. You know, pick one, pick ones that you feel. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, I think it's a bit of a deep, well, I think it's a deep-rooted ideology thing as well. You know, it's it's those schools that do slant um, and they have something much bigger in the way that they run the school and the way that they do curriculum, the way that they do lesson structure, lesson delivery and things like that. So I think it's being open. Um, conversation I did have line the, online, the person did admit that they'd never actually seen it in practice and also the context. I think, you know, Q3 Academy Langley are more than welcome to uh, have visitors and people come and see. And my thing is, you know, I talk about the technique, but what about the Apple atmosphere and the context in what is happening? And I think you'll find um, pleasantly surprised with that. But again, it goes down to what people favour and sometimes those sort of deep-rooted beliefs that they are hard to change as well. So that would be my sort of comments. So things like um, Teach Like a Champion can bring some real consistency to a school. What do you think are the main benefits for students and staff of having that level of consistency? Yeah, I think I think that's a really important point with the consistency. Um, I've been sort of reading around and grappling a bit more recently with this idea, this idea of autonomy and what I would call alignment. Um, teachers, you know, very much flourish in our profession. Um, we want to be able to use our skills, and you know, autonomy is known as one of the big motivators in employment. Once people reach a certain sort of salary, as it were. Um, and so I would think that that, that is important. Um, my other sort of observation, as teachers, we can easily criticise, um, especially the um, use of particular practices very strictly, as it were. 
but we're not coming from the angle that as a senior leader, you're responsible for what the teaching and learning that's going on across the whole school. So that idea of consistency, you know, if somebody came up to me and said, okay, teaching and learning in your school today, is, is it all good? That would be difficult if somebody didn't know what was regularly going on in the classroom. Um, I think it also helps teachers because it gives them quite clearly what the sort of expectations are, what what doing well is, um, and it also helps with um, for senior leaders when when they want to assess going on. And I think that consistency helps with you know I see a lot of offset reports. And often on teaching and learning, it talks about there's an inconsistency between teachers. You have some teachers that can, some teachers that can't. You know, Sam Strickland's new book that's coming out, um, that very much talks about, you know, those that can, those that can't. Um, and I think it's important to be able to, to use this whole school, and that's sort of another point of mine, is often teachers who are in difficult schools that don't use these techniques, try them out. But where I've seen the most successful is where they are a whole school practice. So for me, that consistency is really important. Um, and it's helped very much, especially teachers who may struggle, say, with behaviour management. Um, some of the you know, people like a head teacher wouldn't necessarily need to use techniques such as slant, etc. But if they, everyone in the school is using those techniques, the, the students understand what is expected of them. Um, and that would be my sort of reasons for the consistency and why I believe the consistency of these techniques are quite important. So if you were to walk into a, into a school tomorrow and they, there was nothing consistent at the moment, what would be, let's say, the three TLAC techniques that you'd say, I'm going to start with these? Um, I think, you know, I would... Within context, I'd need to know what the behaviour for learnings are within, um, I mean, one thing that I, I, I would do is, is firstly make sure I had a system for gaining silence, which for me is just, you know, the common hands up thing and the students put their hands up and they stop talking. Uh, some of the ones that I use, threshold, um, which is just the sort of meet and greet at the door. Um, the, the start of the lesson, the strong start, you know, I, I often talk about the start of a lesson a bit like trying to get an aircraft off the ground. You know, there's lots of thrust, there's lots of activity. Um, but also within my classroom, you know, the routine, kids know exactly what they're doing when they come in and the first sort of seven minutes, there's absolutely nothing from me because they know exactly uh, what to do. So teach like a champion, you would see routine. Uh, you would see some of the I, we, do sort of planning. I quite like the we phase and use that a lot for met metacognition where I'm asking students and we're working together to try and come up with a solution to a question, something like that. So I like that sort of part of it. So there are a whole number of others, you know, because I've done it for so long now, I sort of do a lot of these techniques without thinking of them. But I think some of the behaviour for learnings are probably where I would start. Yeah, great. So um, I think you've probably done some other reading around school culture and, and that kind of thing, leadership in schools. Is there anything else that you've read that you think, oh, this works well alongside this? Or um, I, think, I think it's just looking at school improvement and what are some of the factors for school improvement. So um, I think for me... Um, as I say, the consistency across the board. Um, 
I, I like how the strategies can just be taken out um, straight away, as it were. Um, how it relates to other sort of reading, I think, um, from the sort of um, one of the things that that's led me to change my teaching is the use of mini whiteboards and Adam Box has got an article and there's various other articles about that. Um, I think the idea of teacher discussion, I remember some time back reading a book by Phil Beadle that very much talks about class discussion is the default of a lot of teaching, but actually it's quite difficult to do right. It's quite a technical thing. So the habits of discussion section within Doug Lamont's book um, has been really good. Um, the idea of whole school practice, um, sometimes you have things like teacher tips where a teacher on a Friday morning gives a new idea. For me personally, if it's good, let's roll it out whole school rather than having such differentiated practice. And we're just going to increase the gap between those who can and those who can't. Or, you know, we end up with these superstar teachers. Interesting point on that. How do you encourage other teachers to get involved in those teacher tips? How do you create that kind of culture in a school where it's something people want to be involved in? Yeah, I mean, my, my personal preference, and, and this is sort of um, not necessarily, you know, the way um, I'm a bit wary of these teacher tips on a Friday morning or whenever. As I say, if it's something good, I think we should all be doing it. And that, that's great input to whoever's leading on teaching and learning. And, you know, we, we want to, if you're leading on teaching and learning, you, you, want your, you want it to be a river, not a stagnant pool. You know, you need to be willing to take on these ideas. Other people have done reading, other people have seen things. Um, and so in that sense, that's how I would um, encourage um, the sort of new ideas or best practice that... Um, the person delivering or responsible for the teaching and learning, say, um, is willing to look at those ideas and, and easily implement them and also acknowledge where they came from as well. Great. So for you, what's coming up next? Is there a particular area that you're interested in looking into next or something in your own practice you're working on? Um, I think within my own practice, um, it's very much consolidating um, a lot of uh, things I do. One one area that I'm particularly interested in at the moment is booklets. Um, you know, I I haven't worked in a school that uses booklets, but I can very much see their um, the many of the benefits that I think would go with that. So that's something an area that I'm looking at. I am very much, as I sort of said before, this idea of autonomy and alignment. Um, that's a particular area of interest that I'm looking at and how you can, you know, marry the two of those together, especially as senior leaders, really. Um, and again, just exploring the idea of routines um, and their effectiveness. Great. Well, lovely. Before we wrap up and we go into our final section, is there anything you'd like to plug? Have you got a website? Where can people follow you? Those kinds of things. Yeah, so I use Twitter a lot, I'm quite active on there. I'm Stephen Cox, so capital S, P-H, capital C, Stephen, at Stephen Cox 15. Um, so that's a place. I've got a um, blog that I do, which is called Traditionally Speaking. Um, there's a link, link on there on my Twitter. Um, those are probably the main sort of places to find out stuff that I'm thinking about things that I'm considering 
uh, things that I have an opinion on. Um, so those would be the places to find me. Great, thanks. I'll put those in the uh, in the notes for the podcast as well. And I know you're very willing to to talk to people about these things and get in, involved in those kinds of discussions. So hopefully, if anybody wants to speak to you about Teach Like a Champion or anything you've talked about today, they'll get in touch. Sign up to receive the From Page to Practice weekly newsletter to read tips and advice from my guests, as well as information on upcoming episodes. Find the link in the show notes for this episode. So our final section, I think I need a better name for this, but so far it's my CPD library round. Uh, Originally, I thought this would be a bit of a quick fire round, but I know that we all like to give reasons for our choices. So if you want to give just your titles, fine. But if you've got reasons for your choices, not a problem as well. Um, So I've got some different categories and I'd like you to either tell me a book or an article or a blog that you've read um, that you think fits. So my first one is uh, what first got you into evidence-informed practice? Um, I think part of it was research ed. So I would recommend any of the research ed uh, books that that within a series. Um, I I think that's part of what got into um, Tom Sherrington, um, things like Rose and Shine in Action, the book that he's written on that. And then I just, especially through Twitter, um, was reading a lot of people of interest to me and looking at the blogs that they do. So there's various people that I follow and, and blogs that I would suggest. Great. And um, a text that resonated with you the most? Um, I think it was an article. Uh, ben Newmark, I think, is is his name. And it was about low-level disruption. Um, and it was very good. His basically argument is that all disruption is disruption. Um, and, and trying to class things in different categories wasn't as uh, useful as people might have found it. So I found that in on a behaviour sort of um, angle, I think that was particularly um, interesting to me. Now, I'll have a look at that one. And one that challenged your views? Um, I think there's sort of various things on this. Um, I think Tom Sherrington, I'll mention his name again, um, I think because he comes from more uh, sort of mixed or hybrid um, sort of pedagogy, um, I think that's challenged me from being so focused on traditional methods and and everything that, that comes from that sort of label to be able to look at what some of the cooperative sort of learning and, the you know, the... Um, Imports of that, and I think as well the challenge that the EF toolkit that also talks very much about collaborative learning. So again, those sort of things are challenged to my more traditional um, understanding. And had the biggest impact on your practice? Um, I'm going to have to say, teach like a champion because absolutely fine. Was, I thought you might. Yeah, yeah, I think just and I say you know it's the the way that you can pull a strategy out and apply it I think you know um, the way that he codified what he saw and the thing is it's not like I'm a great teacher do what I do it's him looking for for outliers he looked for teachers that were in circumstances which probably meant their students wouldn't get good scores where actually they were getting good scores so he looked for those outlier teachers and he just went and watched and saw what they did and then was able to put that both into an explanation 
that you could actually go and do straight away, but also in a, to codify it in a way that you could have a common language um, to be able to do that. So biggest influence on my practice, that's got to be Teach Like a Champion. Yeah. And a book that you think should be required reading for early career teachers or trainee teachers? Part of me would say Teach Like a Champion because it's the, the techniques. Um, you know, I, I came across it 10 years ago and I was basically, I wish I'd been shown this at the beginning of my teaching, basically. And as I say, you can pick and choose techniques if, you know, if you're not sold on sort of what traditional teaching or whatever you want to call it. Um, there's still stuff that you can just pull out there. Um, and some people might say, yeah, well, I do that already, meet and greet, whatever, what, you know, talking about threshold. Just look again at some of the things that it, it includes as well. Um, so I think as a NQT or ECT now, as they're called, um, I would want to be looking at techniques. Um, specifically, I think Teacher Like a Champion um, helps with that. Yeah. And um, I feel like there might be some overlap here, but I'll ask it anyway. A text that has inspired you? Um, I think one really important one was a blog that Joe Kirkby did. And it talked about hornets and butterflies. Um, and it's something that's come from Michaela, really. Um, and it's this idea of things that have high impact, but low effort. Not low effort as in not bothering, but because there's so much pressure on teacher time, what are the best bets? He's actually updated that to include slugs and something else as well. Um, but I found oh, that I'll try article, and find the link for that. Yeah, um, I found that article really, really helpful and useful. And, you know, especially if you're leading on anything in school, in school you need to do the hornet butterfly test first. You know, if this is a hornet, it's low impact, high effort by teachers, then you need to get rid of those, however much you might nostalgically want to keep those things if they're not effective. And you need to take something out to be able to put something in. I think that's important with the sort of pressure that we can put on teachers as leaders. Um, it's important that if you want to add something, then you need to take something out, yeah. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I'll definitely look and see if I can put the link to that in the notes. So we've got just a couple more. What's the most recent thing you've read? Uh, the most recent thing I've read is Drive by uh, Dan Pink, I think the guy's name is. Um, and he basically talks about how the sort of reward and punishment system that, that used to very much influence behaviour has now become sort of outdated and it's more to do with autonomy. Um, so I found that useful. Um, in, the, in the respect to students, and I know lots of schools are working on this, is that intrinsic motivation for students. You know, as a student, I do what I do because of who I am rather than those other sort of motivators. So that's the most recent that I've read. Yeah, that sounds really interesting, that one. And is there something next on your to-be-read pile? Or is there something coming out that you think, oh, I fancy getting that when it comes? Yeah, there is a number of things. Uh, there's one book, and, and because I'm in Qatar, what I do is I, I order books, and then when I go home in the summer, I, I sort of pick them all up, as it were. So I don't know the exact people and titles. Uh, there is one which is a teaching and learning playbook. Uh, I'm particularly interested in, in being, being able to read that. 
Once I'm Home, and also it would be Sam Strickland's new book, um, They Don't Behave For Me. Um, I think that's going to be a really important piece on behaviour. And You know, I know Sam does a lot of work and work with other schools and networks and things on behaviour. Uh, again, I think that's going to be an, an, another useful addition to a number of books that he's now been able to produce. And then the final one, is there a book that you don't think currently exists but you'd really like to read, a topic you want to read more on or something like that? Or even something you think, oh, that would be really useful for new teachers and I've not seen that book around? I'm really struggling with that just because there's so much material out there now um, and it's important that books aren't repetitive. You know, lots of the cognitive science stuff, the, you know, um, cognitive load theory, all sorts of stuff, retrieval practice. Um, a lot of that is, is, is sort of being done, as it were, um, and so there's so much material out there. Um, I think continued literature on uh, leadership, leadership at, at middle leadership level, leadership at senior leadership. I, I know, as I say, senior leadership probably has a lot more material out there and We've been able to benefit from some of the sort of business leadership aspects, but going from a really good teacher to then becoming a leader, that's suddenly a quite a massive change in role. Um, and you could argue that not every teacher would make a great leader, but it seems to be the promotion ladder that we're, we're all on. You know, the, the reward for being a good teacher in a classroom is you actually get taken out of the classroom. Um, because you are seen as really good leadership material. MPQs have been really helpful in that to try and standardise and try and equip people. Um, you know, a, a head that I know said um, COVID was never in their MPQH, you know, when all that kicked in. So, you know, they're obviously you can't, you can't cater for every circumstance, but maybe a middle leadership specifically, something that, that people could... Um, benefit from a bit more input on you yeah that's great thank you very much for coming and talking to me today it's been really good to hear about teach like a champion and especially kind of those arguments for people who might not have uh, been that interested before uh, and lots and lots of links and, and titles for people to follow up on and i will try and link as much of that as i can in the notes afterwards so it's been great to talk to you and thank you very much thank you very much you're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. I'm also bringing you another conversation today, and that's with English teacher Daniel Smith. We talked a lot about his favourite edgy book and why he thinks reading is important for improving classroom practice. Okay, so hi Dan, welcome to From Page to Practice. For those people who don't know you, could you introduce yourself please? Hi, I'm Dan Smith. Um, I've been an English teacher for 12 years. Uh, I'm currently second in department in Rygate School and um, I, I really job, love what I do. And what does the phrase from page to practice mean to you? Well, to me, it means having the time and the space to be able to read good quality CPD and to be able to apply that immediately in a classroom and then to reflect on it and try to improve it. Sign up to receive the From Page to Practice weekly newsletter to read tips and advice from my guests, as well as information on upcoming episodes. 
Find the link in the show notes for this episode. So today you've come to talk to us first of all, I think, about the book 400 Tips for Teachers, right? So could you tell me a little bit about that book? Well, I saw a lot of sort of um, advertisements and discussion on Twitter and I mentioned it to um, our sort of head of CPD at our school and he was very kind enough to uh, purchase a copy uh, for the CPD library. And the thing that impressed me the most was how granular it was. And what I mean by that is how precise it is. I've never quite come across something that is so sort of step by step. Um, and it really, really impressed me. And there is so much to, to read and go through and think about. And I think it's going to take me quite a long time uh, to get through it all. Yeah, 400 tips certainly is a, a lot of tips to pack into one book, isn't it? I thought that when I saw the title. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the fact that each one is is not a general thing. It's not. It's the opposite of vague. Everything is very, very discreetly broken down into steps and the justification behind it and applications of it. Um, so it's a very complex document, a very complex book, I would say. It sounds like exactly the kind of thing we're trying to encourage with from page to practice, you know, taking those really specific things to practice and and putting them so that people can access them. So that's great. Um, Who do you think should read it? Do you think it's a book for experienced teachers, newer teachers? What do you think? I think I think it's not for brand new teachers necessarily. I think it's for someone who's maybe one or two years in um, up to very experienced teachers, because I think it's kind of the book where you've been a couple of years in the classroom, you've got the shape of things, you kind of generally understand what teaching is all about and what a lesson is all about, etc. But you're now trying to refine things. You're trying to take each piece of what you do and you're trying to refine it. So I know, for example, that I could be better with um, mini whiteboards. And not because I want to just include mini whiteboards in my lesson, but because I understand that there is a, a reason for them and that they are f- purposeful and they are functional. So that is a good place for me to start. And I think there will be other teachers who just feel like there are gaps to fill, there are, there are things to refine, and I think that's where this book is a, is a valuable one. That sounds great. And is there, I know you might not have got through it all yet because, you know, 400 tips and everything, <laughs> uh, but what's been your favourite bit so far? Has there been one tip that stood out to you or...? I think I think it was the mini whiteboards because they scare me a little bit. I um, like I say, I've been teaching a while, and it's something I've never really mastered. Um, and I think that it's been the first book I think that's actually really concretely, almost to an absurd degree, said every single thing that you should do, and it has given me the confidence to try and put that into practice. Um, and, and of course, like I said, there'd be other teachers who think, "My oh, goodness, I use mini whiteboards all the time." Like you say, with 400 of them, 400 tips, there will be other ones that they will find useful because it is so concretely broken down. That's great. And have you had a chance now to put to get put into practice what you've read about mini whiteboards? I haven't as yet. I will be honest. Um, it's more just trying to get the equipment together and get everything together. But like I said, it's, I know it sounds silly, but even the first step of wanting to and feeling confident in trying, wanting to try it is quite a big thing. I think because being an experienced teacher, you, you worry sometimes about stepping out of what you know. And I think that it's a good thing for me to now 
push things forward a little bit. And when it comes to to edgy books, this one is quite a you know one to dip in and out of as much as you want and kind of pick it out where you want it, isn't it? Would you say you prefer that style of edgy book or the type where you can kind of it involves being a bit more stuck into the whole thing? I think it varies. I think that um, I think at different points in my career, I prefer different ones. I think a couple of years into my teaching career, I wasn't. I wasn't pleased. There was something not right. And I, I, there's a couple of books that I read sort of cover to cover that really helped me. Whereas I think now, like I said, it's about taking each piece and refining it, which is why I do enjoy more this style now where it's, you can take it section by section. How, having said that though, um, if you read it from start to finish in sessions, I would, I would guess it does sort of take kind of what you need to do first, followed by the next thing, followed by the next thing. But you certainly couldn't read it. You couldn't read it like a normal book because it is quite hefty. It probably wouldn't be that effective for your practice either, I guess. If you, you know, it's a bit like taking the walkthroughs books and reading them cover to cover straight away, with no time to reflect on it. You uh, not not enough time to kind of get in there and apply things. Do you think? Yeah, I mean that's a very good point. Um, you need to take a few ideas or even a couple of ideas at a time and try and use them before moving on. And I think that's a really good point, actually, because um, that is certainly the nature of it. You, you want to apply it first before moving on to something else. I think that's one thing that that some people get put off of reading because they think, oh, there's just too much of it. And it's important to remember that, isn't it, that you don't have to take it all in all at once and you can dip in and out as, as you like with it. Yeah, yeah. And I think authors have done a better job of helping us do that, I think. No, I totally agree. But just now you said there were a couple of books that you read that kind of things weren't feeling quite right for you and they helped to kind of get you back on on track. Can you remember what those books were? Yeah, so definitely the first one. Um, and I think I've um, mentioned it before. I think I did a little audio clip on here before. Um, is Making Every English Lesson Count. And I really, really cannot recommend that book enough. Um, any book in the Making Every Lesson Count series uh, in terms of crystallising what a lesson is and the practices, obviously, for the English book, the practices in English. Um, honestly, that would be the one book I would really recommend to a newer teacher. Um, and then after that, I, I did um, I read What Does This Look Like in the Classroom, um, which is uh, Carl Hendrick and Robin McPherson. And that also was fantastic in terms of combining different voices lots of different sort of handy hints and tips and then some sort of concrete sort of basis for those ideas as well so those two books I think when I read them after I read them I felt like I'd sort of crystallized things a lot better a lot better yeah two really good books you picked there and like take and and different in different ways because making every lesson count very much showing you you don't need all your bells and whistles that people might think you need to put in a lesson you know you follow these six is it or something particular areas and and then you've you know that it's a good lesson or a good you know a good good teaching that's what makes the components of good teaching isn't it and then the uh, what does it look like in the classroom very much along the lines of what we're trying to do here how we take things from the research into practice so two really good books um so other than the books that we've talked about is there anything else you do to engage with cpd so whether that's social media or podcasts, those kinds of things 
I think I think Twitter has been consistently the best way I've um, engaged with CPD um, in terms of blogs. Um, certainly, people like um, Susan Strachan um, always writes excellent um, blogs, and others as well. I think looking at other people's resources because you can kind of see the thinking that's gone into it and you also see good practice and not in terms of just sort of aping them but seeing the process that's gone gone through creating that resource and then also occasionally though I don't get to very often um, seeing opportunities for um, conferences and things like that though I haven't been for a long time I must admit uh, and then finally lit drive um, I was very lucky to be able to contribute my own session as well. But then watching other people's sessions on there um, has been really good as well. Sounds like you've engaged with lots of different things. Do you think it's important to engage with CPD beyond the four walls of your school? Or do you think just engaging within your school is sufficient? I think it depends on, on you and I think it depends on the school. I think that some schools, particularly now, I think more so now, are providing excellent CPD and I think that if you feel as though you're improving as a teacher, then go for it. Unfortunately, I think that um, certainly in the past and with certain schools, it's kind of been a one size fits all. And I can understand why, because it can be very difficult for a school to manage um, everyone's CPD needs. But I think if you're not, if you are frustrated or if you feel like you're not moving forward, there is so much available now. And it can just be that you subscribe to one person's blog or two people's blogs or it could be that you think I'm, I'm going to watch um, the lit drive um, sessions so even if it's just one thing outside of your school it can have a huge impact I think. No I totally agree is there anything in particular you're looking to work on next or things you're you're kind of looking into at the moment? It's a really good question I think that it's just Something that I need to improve at, like I said, is being really precise with my procedures. I think that I think, okay, this is just going to happen sometimes. You know, it will happen that, that it will happen that there'll be a moment where everyone will have their books, they'll be writing this task. And it does happen, but I don't, I wonder if I'm using the time effectively enough. And I wonder if every single student has understood me exactly. And I just think there might be ways of being much more precise in my routines and procedures, um, that, that, like marginal gains. Like there might be little moments that I gain each lesson um, that add up, basically. And that's something that I'm really looking into. And that's why the, the that's why I really like the 400 Tips book because I feel like that's exactly what it's about: um, refining each thing, each part of your lesson, so that it um, improves everything overall. Yeah, I think you're right there, actually. And that's made me reflect on what you said earlier about it being good for more experienced teachers than it is the newer teachers, because newer teachers have got, they need to concentrate on fewer things at a time. Whereas as a more experienced teacher, there might be, like you're saying, lots of little tweaks to make that you could get from those 400 that could really make those differences over time. That that marginal gains phrase was, was a really good point. You, know, you make those small changes that actually can really transform your lesson. So I thought that was a that was actually yeah made me made me think about it whilst you were talking about that. Um, so before we carry on into the last round about various different CPD books, is there anything else you were hoping to get to talk about a little bit whilst we were here? 
Um, I just think that what I would say generally is that I really have benefited. I've really benefited from um, the CPD that I've sought out and, and some of the CPD I've had in school as well. So I think that the, I suppose my message is, is that it really can make a difference. It really can make a difference to your practice and it can be quite surprising actually how much of a difference it can make. And I think you've got to have a bit of faith and maybe take a bit of a leap of faith sometimes, but it really, it really can pay off. Um, and that ones inside of school, the programs inside of school can be excellent too. Um, I've certainly had excellent uh, CPD within school as well. So, Actually thinking about it, I can kind of, I've got a couple more questions for you then. So what would you say to someone who thinks, oh, I'm not interested in doing any reading around teaching, that's not going to help me? What would you, what would you say? Would there be one book you'd say, oh, just try that and I think it will change your mind or? Yeah, so I think I would say start, I would start with making every lesson count. And I think obviously whatever subject specialism they'd had, I would say recommend that specialism. And I say, look, start here. Um, if that didn't grab them, then perhaps maybe look at something newer. Um, maybe you have to look at something like Peps McRae or something like that. So I think it's quite a nice sort of stripped back style. And I would say to I would you know I would say to them don't don't feel like it's a late laborious thing. Just just have a dip into something. And I think that would be the way to go. You know, making every lesson lesson count or something else. It's quite light. Um, and I think that it would definitely make some difference. Yeah. And picking up on your other point about, you know, you have had some good in-school CPD, because we don't want to downplay that actually CPD in school can be very good. What would you say, even if it's just little features, make some good CPD that you've experienced in, in school setting? Well, I think that it's, I think it's sort of starting with concepts. So, so concepts of lesson design or concepts of curriculum design and then um, having departmental moments or departmental sections so saying this represents good lesson design or this is what we think represents good curriculum design let's have a discussion about it let's ground it and then let's have uh, departmental sessions to discuss it and then reflect back on it after that and I think that's what really um, really works and I think there's different philosophies around it and I think it's good to embrace those. So I think it's just having those strong principles and then having moments in the day where you're allowed to sort of reflect on it as a, as a department as well. I think that's great. So before we do actually move on this time to the other, the final section, uh, where can people find you, contact you if they want to get in touch? So I'm at Teach Smith. Um, I think I'm at Teach underscore Smith um, on Twitter. Um, that's my main sort of point of contact. Um, I'm also on Instagram and YouTube. However, um, it's best to tweet me at, um, at teach underscore Smith. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag Podcast. 
So our final section uh, is the CPD library round. Um, I was making this a quick fire round to begin with, and then I remembered I'm talking to teachers who want to talk about books and therefore will all want to give explanations. So if you want to give just a title, feel free. But if you also want to tell me why you've picked the book, that's absolutely fine. So I've got a number of categories. Um, it could be a book, an article, something CPD related that you think fits this category so first one and you may well have mentioned them already that's absolutely fine just tell me if if that's the case but the first one what first got you into evidence-informed practice I would say um actually I would say it's I can't remember, is it shady lady her name uh it's a blog on twitter um I can't remember is it becky her name is um, but yeah, her blog on Twitter when the new GCC specification came out. Great. And yes, I recognise that name. I might try and track down her, her handle and put that in the notes for this episode, but I do recognise the name. Um, so something that resonated with you the most? Resonated with me. I think making every English lesson count, those six parts, um, those parts to a lesson, um, the making every lesson count parts to a lesson, definitely. And challenge your views. Oh, challenge my views. Um, don't call it literacy. I believe it's by Jeff Barton. That is absolutely fantastic. Um, not challenged in the sense of I thought they were very controversial, but just made me realise how much of what we do is literacy. Well, that sounds great. And that's not one I've heard of. So um, had the biggest impact on your practice? Difficult, I think. It's difficult between uh, making every, every English lesson count, but I think I'm going to go with what does this look like in the classroom. I think that has such a big impact on everything that I did. I think English lesson count was more about confidence building, whereas what does this, what does this look like in the classroom has really had the massive impact. Yeah, that's a really good point about confidence building, actually. Sometimes we just need what we're reading to tell us that actually, you know what, it's fine to be doing this thing that you're already doing. It's You're doing it for the right reasons rather than always feeling we need something new, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, should be required reading for early career teachers or teacher trainees? Um, I think I think we'll go with Tom Bennett with for you know, the behaviour guru or running the room, I think, because if you haven't got behaviour, um, you haven't really got anything else. So I think definitely Tom Bennett for, for running the room or I believe the other one was called the behaviour guru. Yeah, I think you're right. That was his early one, wasn't it? Um, one that inspired you? I think this this 400 tips has inspired me, which sounds odd because it's so concrete, but I think because it's so different to everything else I've read and... It's sort of broken through my sort of um, accepted ideas. It's sort of broken through and made me want to move on, uh, even as an experienced teacher. That's great. The next one I think we've just covered because it's your most recent read. So unless you've snuck anything else in recently, is it this one? No, it is this one. I haven't. I don't yeah. have that much time, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, what's next on the to-be-read pile? That's the other problem. I mean, there's so much um, to do. I mean, there's How Learning Happens. I'd love to read that. Um, yeah, How Learning Happens would be fantastic to read. Yeah, definitely. that's a good one. It's a hefty one, though, but it's a good one. <laughs> uh, 
And is there something that doesn't exist, but you think it should, but you think I'd like to read about this area, or I think more people should be able to know about this particular thing? That's a really good question. I think, I think more people should understand, because I think it's such a controversial issue in the wider society at times, should understand why everyone should read Shakespeare. And I think there are books on it, but I think there there could be another one in there on why everyone in every school should learn Shakespeare. And I think all Ooh, I like that, it. And I think for all teachers as well. I like it because that's something that, you know, coming as a as a teacher who's not an English teacher isn't necessarily something I'd have thought of. So actually that you're saying that it should be something that all teachers and all people from all backgrounds, I think that'd be really, really interesting and definitely not a, a suggestion I've had yet on that section. So I'm glad I asked that question now. Good, <laughs> good. Thank you. Well, I think that's it as far as I'm concerned. It's been really good having you on. It'd be nice to talk to somebody about these books. And that 400 Tips book is one that I now think I need to to go and pick up because I'm finding that quite interesting. I haven't seen it yet. So is there anything else you wanted to say before we go? No, just thank you very much for having me as a guest. And it's been really nice uh, to talk about um, CPD and my personal sort of journey with it. So thank you. That's great. Thanks. Bye. Bye bye. Are you interested in evidence-informed practice? Do you have a favourite edgy book? Have an idea of what great CPD is and should be? Want to just generally have a chat about education? Please sign up to join me for a conversation. I rely on volunteers from all contexts and levels of experience. Visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast for the sign up form. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I have lots more conversations lined up for you and the next episode features Head of Learning Area for Languages, Adam Lamb. Adam shares his passion for evidence-informed practice that he developed during the Chartered Teacher Accreditation process. He also talks about the research he conducted in order to be awarded that CTEACH status, which focused on building reading skills. I really enjoyed my chat with Adam and I hope you come back to hear it. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons.